history can be found anywhere, even in your own backyard. So join us as we search the land, looking for the stories that helped shape this nation. Come on the porch, grab a drink, and join us for a little bit of history from the homestead. Hey there, history buffs. Welcome to this episode of the History from the Homestead podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Carroll, and today I'm joined by Mr. Patrick Hardy to speak about the Pony Express. Now, Patrick Hardy was raised in Grantsville, Utah. His grandfather was a homesteader and cattle rancher, and his early years on the ranch left him with a deep love of history and strong ties to the Old West. Patrick graduated from Brigham Young University with degrees in chemistry and biochemistry. He is retired after a career as a chemist with the U.S. Department of Labor and the Battelle Memorial Institute. Patrick has been a member of the National Pony Express Association since 1978. He has served as president of both the Utah Division and the National Organization and is currently a re-ride captain in Utah, as well as National Trails Liaison. He has served on the Mormon Pioneers Sesquicentral Celebration Coordinating Council for the state of Utah, and is a member and chair of the Utah Historic Trails Consor- Consortium, Excuse me, along with other trail-related assignments. He is a member of Utah Westerners and a charter member of the Oregon-California Trails Association. He lives in Grantsville, Utah with his wife, Linda. They are the proud parents of four children and 13 grandchildren. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the History from the Homestead podcast. Today, we are talking about the Pony Express, and joining me is... Mr. Patrick Hardy from the National Pony Express Association. How are you today, sir? I'm good. Thank you, Thomas. So before we get started in, what what is the National Pony Express Association? And what do you do specifically there? Because you got the whole cowboy regalia on. (laughs) I figured I ought to look like who I'm supposed to be. (laughs) All right. National Pony Express Association. I love to talk about that. Uh, our organization was was incorporated in California in 1978, and uh, with the with the goals to identify and to mark and interpret and to rewrite the Pony Express National Historic Trail. Now the trail became a National Historic Trail in 1993, uh, and we work closely with the National Park Service who administers the trail and also with the Bureau of Land Management who uh, administers much of the land out here in the West in uh, Utah, Nevada and Wyoming particularly. Uh, we work with these agencies to uh, to bring this history forward to keep the trail clean and, and to make the story known to people as well as we can. Our major event each year is a rewrite of the Pony Express Trail where Long about the middle of June, we pass a, a leather mail pouch, a mochila similar to what they used, over the backs of uh, six or more hundred horses. This year, we ran from Sacramento, California to St. Joseph, Missouri in the course of 10 days. 
and that's that's the main thing that we do we also we like to do things like this we visit school groups and boy scout groups and civic groups to talk about our history and we do what we can to keep uh, keep the history alive yeah and real quick tell us where anybody can can find on the web because you're you're a nonprofit you're you're not a profit organization you do all this correct volunteers if you know anybody, any big benefactor and could send them our way, you can imagine we'd be grateful. You can find our website is national www.nationalponyexpress.org. And there you can find just about anything about our association that you want to know. And I, I've actually checked it out. I love the site. I was just looking through it earlier here before we started. So, so let's dive into the Pony Express itself. I'm sure... I'm pretty sure most people have an inkling of what it is. They've heard of it. But how did the Pony Express work? Because it, it's a massive undertaking. It was a massive undertaking. Uh, certainly was. Uh, let's go back in our minds into the history more than 150 years. Uh, and the mail service across the West here was pretty sporadic and pretty unsatisfactory. Uh, by 18, well, in, in 1849, when the gold rush was on in California, about 80,000 people rushed to California to try to get gold and, and get rich there. By 1860, there were roughly 350,000 people in California. Most of those went out, the, the vast majority went to get rich and go home. They didn't intend to settle. So they were very interested in mail from uh, from the United States in the East. Uh, the silver was discovered in what is now Nevada uh, shortly after that, 1849, and uh, the Mormon pioneers came to Utah and beginning in 1847. By 1860, there were about 40,000 people here. Uh, the main sort, reliable source of mail um, to the West was the Butterfield stage, which left St. Louis, Missouri, went way down through present-day New Mexico and Arizona, touched Fort Smith, Arkansas, and then way back up into California, took 25 days. And as I said, the people out here in the West were very eager for news for several reasons. Uh, so what was going on was, was very unsatisfactory. There was a large freighting company, Russell Majors and Waddell, and they had major contracts to haul freight and materials to primarily to the army posts across the West. But it occurred to them, at least to one of their members, that if they could cut this time down, show a better way to deliver mail to the West, they could get, they might get a fat mail contract. Now, Russell, Alexander Majors, William Russell, and William Waddell were the three principals there. Uh, what, William, well, let me get this straight. William Russell then was the dreamer, the the visionary, the guy with the big plans. And he may or may not have been the one to come up with the Pony Express idea. Uh, certainly mail had been carried on horseback for generations, for hundreds of years. But it, it came to his mind, perhaps, that his company could put something together to run the mail. Instead of making that big loose loop way to the south, they could run the mail straight across the country, across what was called the central route, and uh, and do it in 10 days in horseback relays. 
Now, his partners were pretty skeptical of that, but I get apparently Majors, or Russell rather, had made commitments, had told people this could and would be done. And so his partners agreed, and they set about trying to, to make this work and to, to gain that mail contract eventually, uh, hoping to do this, as I said, in 10 days. So in the course of about six weeks, in early 1860, they established stations in the east, across the eastern part of the country, they used built or, or established their stations in towns and at road ranches along the way. Out across present-day Nevada, those stations had to be built. Uh, they hired hired young men to ride. Uh, they bought horses and put things together to run this horseback relay, and they did it in a course of about six weeks. They got everything running. On April 3rd of 1860, they began this Pony Express enterprise from both directions, starting from San, from Sacramento, California, and also from St. Louis, Missouri, for, from, uh, pardon me, from St. Joseph, Missouri, and they ran both directions and uh, put it in place, put it in action that way. As far as how it worked, I mentioned the stations that they had built. There were two types of stations. There were the home stations where the riders lived between their runs, and those were located 50 to 100 miles apart. There were the swing or relay stations where they changed horses as, as they went along. And so the way this would be done, one rider would leave his home station, let's say would leave St. Joseph headed west, and would change horses at, at several inter intervals. And when he got out, um, I think the next home station was probably in Seneca, uh, the, the Seneca at the hotel there. He would turn that mail over to the next westbound rider and he would wait there until the next eastbound mail came back. Does that kind of make sense? Yes, yes. Now, they, they carried the mail and they and they ran it in relays this way. They carried the mail in a leather in a leather mochila, which fit right over the the saddle and had pockets in each corners to care to hold that mail. Now, to give everybody an idea of, of the undertaking, of this how long was the trail? Because it, it almost was... two, almost two thousand miles, eighteen hundred sixty miles from Saint Joseph to Sacramento. Yes, I mean you picture even to drive two thousand miles in a car is is tiring, but to constantly move the mail by horseback that distance. I mean that's a. I don't even know what to say about that. I can't even fathom doing that, even though they were relaying riders and horses. That's still in ten that days. Works. It was entirely free enterprise. It was entirely a, a private enterprise. They had no government backing at this point as they put it together. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and even you think in 10 days, sometimes it takes nowadays 10 days to get your mail out of California. So, Correct. Um, sometimes it does. How About how much would it cost to send, say, a letter by the Pony Express? What, what did that in, in cost the person? In 1860, the original cost was $5 per half ounce. Now, later on, as, as, as the whole scenario there changed, they reduced the, after almost a year, they reduced the, the cost to $2 and possibly as low as $1 at times. But initially it was $5 per half ounce. And that was a, a you know, what they were trying to do 
to keep afloat, but it was a tremendously high price for uh, for somebody to pay. Yeah, I just, let's put it in a little perspective. How much would a rider make? What would a rider's were, salary have been? They were initially offered up to $25 a week, $100 a month, which was a lot of money to be making in those days, but it was a demanding job. They, you know, they, it was a tough thing to, to, uh, to hire on to. In which, yeah, and you think about that, just to send one piece of mail basically would have been for them a day's wage. So that's a bit of perspective on what it cost, but you know, nobody else was moving mail that fast. No one was. And the government and U.S. Army used this mail service from the east to the west probably uh, more than anybody else. The miners in California could probably better afford it than the average farmer in, in Missouri, for example. But uh, uh, they never did make money on the letter sales, on postage now what what would have some of the the challenges the dangers have been for them be you know besides just the country itself which is very rugged you know we're, we're talking native americans yet and everything well their attitude toward the indians they were told instructed not to fight with the indians they they were provided with better horses and better fed horses they said run don't Fight. Uh, they were equipped perhaps with a single pistol and an 18, uh, 1858 Navy Colt revolver, and, but they were told not to, not to engage, to outrun whenever they could and engage only when it was absolutely necessary. But the weather was a, a constant problem. The heat in the summer, the cold in the winter, there were riders who got pretty lost in snowstorms in the wintertime. Uh, about anything you can think from that time. It was said, you know, there were a lot of buffalo in the Midwest, huge herds of them. And it was said that if you got into the middle of one of those herds that was moving, you went with them. You were pretty well swept away. You could not stay on the trail. Uh, the story is told of one rider riding in the dark back in the east, and there was a, a cow asleep in the road. He didn't see it, and he hit that cow, and a horse and rider went, rolling so things like that and in addition the physical strain there was pretty high turnover among riders because it really pounded a guy only the toughest and and most dedicated were able to to stand up to this i you know i could believe it and how how reliable was the pony express because from what i've i've read it was considerably reliable yes <laughs> I think so. You know, it depended on the weather and and various other factors, but they went to great lengths to be reliable, to be on time and to meet that schedule. Each rider was expected to make to change horses and get a little drink of water in two minutes and be on his way. Wow. Wow. And the riders, you said they stayed basically right at their their home station. So they, they were, had, you know, bedding and stuff right there. Pretty much they did. Nick Wilson said they were expected to, to be at their home station so that they could be ready to go at, at practically any time that the mail came back. Okay. And which I'll, I'll have to, for our viewers, I'll have to put it on my webpage. We'll have to put, I saw a map of the trail. We'll have to put that together to, to show the stations there.
But so what what impact did the Pony Express really have? Because they were, you know, they were only in business a short time, but it was a very impactful business for the time. 19 months is as long as it lasted. They started in April of 1860, and in October of 1861, the Transcontinental Telegraph was completed. And uh, so now there's a faster way to, to send messages. So uh, that, that put them basically out of business. Impact The impact on the company, they never did get a mail, mail contract. Uh, for political reasons, the mail route was controlled by Southern sympathizers in Congress, and they figured if civil war was coming, and they were pretty sure it was, they wanted to maintain control of that mail route through the South. So um, no mail contract was ever uh, forthcoming. And, uh, and th there's kind of a perfect storm of financial disasters that hit Russell Majors and Waddell all there at, the, at about the same time. So they went bankrupt. That company went under there. But they did prove the viability of the central route straight across the country um, through 12 months of the year. It had been thought that the mountains were too high and snowy, the deserts were too hot and dry, but they proved that it could be done. And some say that they had a big role, played a big role in keeping California and California gold loyal to the Union at the beginning of the Civil War. So it was a, a critical form of communication right at the time when there was nothing that came close. Now... <clears throat> I mean, after the telegraph, what did they do still about packages? Did it just, did they send them more of the slower way? And Packages were still carried by stagecoach in 18, and until 1869. That's when the Transcontinental Railroad was pushed through. Okay. And as far, as far as the riders, I maybe correct me if I'm wrong. I, I am winging this one. I don't remember. But we was not uh, Buffalo Bill Cody a rider for a while, or is that more of a, a myth? I thought I, I read that, but. I think it, most historians today believe that that was kind of a myth, <laughs> kind of something that, that Bill Cody okay. had in his mind. He, he did work for Russell Majors and Waddell as a messenger. And to give him credit where credit is definitely due, when he got his Wild West show going, he put the Pony Express in every Wild West show. But as far as whether he actually carried the mail and rode, uh, very likely not. And did he do some of the thrilling rides up through the craggy mountains that are described in the in the what they called the penny dreadfuls in that day the little dime novels definitely not but anyway that, that prevailing opinion is that he probably was never a writer uh while bill hickok shows up on a lot of those lists as well and he definitely did not carry pony express mail although he was a stock tender and if you want his story i'll give it to you briefly sure why not we're here in the wild <laughs> but, west go right ahead all right, this is this is twenty years old, twenty year old James Butler Hickok, back at Rock Creek Station, which is just over the the line in uh, in Nebraska now. Uh, the station man, one of the station keepers there, his name was was uh, McCandless, and 
Bill or Jimmy Hickok was a young guy. He had kind of a long nose and kind of funny lips, and they called him Duck Bill. I'm sure he didn't like that. There was some kind of a fracas that came up over unpaid rent, and he got into a scrape, a shooting scrape with McCandless, and there's still debate as to whether it was a shoot, a fair shootout, or whether it was murder on Hickok's part. Anyway, several were killed by him. And that's when he became Wild Bill. Ah. They called him Duck Bill. He became Wild Bill. <laughs> that sounds better than Duck Bill. Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You, you asked about the writers. Can we talk about that for just a minute? Sure, yes. I was just going to get back it's, that way. That's where I was okay. at. <laughs> Specifically, I want to mention who they were not, okay? You may be familiar with this poster? Yes. Young, skinny, wiry fellow was not over 18. Orphans preferred. Well, <laughs> the truth of the matter is that poster first appeared in Sunset Magazine in 1923. No Pony Express writer or prospective Pony Express writer ever saw this advertisement for Orphans Preferred. <laughs> but it's it's such a it's just a grabber. It, it's such a picturesque image that uh, it's probably the most famous, <laughs> most recognizable yeah. image. And that, you know, it's when we were talking about the riders, because that's probably too where a lot of people think of the Pony Express. They think of the, well, what Hollywood tells them, you know, the, the riders shooting it out with the Indians across the plains trying to race the mail. And that's, you know, that just didn't happen. But it, it sure did make good TV. <laughs> yeah. So. But they were young guys in in pretty much all cases. They were largely in their late teens and early 20s. Most of them were small and lightweight. Uh, and they had to be tough. You know, they had to be the, the best of horsemen and uh, tough, resilient, resourceful young men. Um. They came from all over the country, really, from the the Midwest there where the where the mail ran from, and from the West here. They came from Canada and from the British Isles, and we have no accurate list uh, of who the writers were because no records no records exist have, or have been preserved from Pony Express days we the books do say if you read the book they'll tell you that the writers wore a red shirt blue jeans and uh, and a hat all right and probably in St. Joseph and in Salt Lake City and in the, the cities probably they did because they were kind of celebrities and so they wanted to show off a little bit out in the middle of Nevada or the middle of Nebraska, they probably wore whatever they had. Uh, they were required. Uh, Alexander Majors, one of the principals in in Russell Majors and Waddell, and also uh, I didn't mention the company that ran the Pony Express was called Central Overland California and Pikes Peak Express Company. But Alexander Majors was one of the principals in these in these uh, firms, and he was a very religious man. And he required each of his riders and each of his bullwhackers on the on the freight lines and his station keepers, all of his employees were required to take an oath promising not to drink intoxicating liquor, not to use bad language, not to 
quarrel or fight with any of the other uh, other employees or, or associates there and in every way to do the very best job that they could. He wanted the best people. He wanted to weed out the, the ruffians. How well they live by this oath out here in the West, I can't promise you. But anyway, this was required of them. And he also issued each one a small Bible and told them to read that Bible and, and live live by the things that, that they learned there. Wow. Now, we've, we've talked about the mail a little bit, but how much, how much mail would they carry on average? Obviously, you know, it can't be a, a lot, but how much would they carry per trip or per that's horse, I question, should say? That's a question I really don't have an, an answer to. Uh, and I think I, it obviously varied and some, and there was mail for points along the way. There were four pockets in that, in that mochila, four cantinas in the four corners. And one of those, the left front, we're told, uh, three were locked between the terminuses, the two termini, termini, the terminals, the two ends anyway. The left front one, we're told, was the way pocket. And so uh, if there were letters for Fort Bridger, there would be someone there with the key who could open that and, and take those letters out or here in Salt Lake City to put letters in. But uh, I don't I, I can't answer a question as to how many yeah. they carry, what an average was for a run. Well, then it just sounds like it, it kind of varied and I'm maybe guessing, uh, you know, probably what they could fit in the in the pouches, I, I would guess. Yeah, I don't, because I, I was looking, and I didn't find anything. Sounds any, anywhere. So, well, I think that pretty well brings us time. I didn't want to, I didn't want to keep you here all night. I usually, this is about how long I keep it around to. So, Patrick, I, I thank you greatly for doing this. That was a, a wonderful conversation. I, I loved it greatly. Well, I hope so. The, you know, we enjoy commemorating the Pony Express, and it's a, it, it, it's kind of a, an international celebrity. There are people in Europe who reenact this every year. They go in August, and they, they leave from the Czech Republic and uh, spread out in about five different directions from there uh, down to the Austrian border, out into Slovakia, up through Poland and, and Germany, and, and they love this Western history. They, they love what went on here. 180, wow. 150 years ago. Wow, that's wild. So, and like you said, you can look up the National Pony Express Association online. We have the web, I'll share it on my website. I suggest everybody goes and checks it out. It's it's a Agreed. really good site. They're nonprofit if you can help them out. And like you said, if you know any, any big benefactors, I'll send them your way. I don't personally know any. We're available, though. <laughs> Sir, I thank you greatly for your time. It was wonderful talking to you. Thank you, Thomas, and the best to you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, remember, if you like the show, you can share it with all your friends. We can be found on all the major podcast players. Uh, we can be found on Facebook. And you can also find us and catch the show notes at History from the Homestead dot com